Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill as always. And on this week's episode, we are also going to be joined by Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith, who's going to be making his first appearance on the show. And uh, we actually recorded the interview a few days before uh, we're recording this. Uh, but, you know, a great interview. Uh, with Gene that I think we uh, learned a lot from and we hope that you all will learn a lot from as well. Yeah, I was really happy to, to, to have him on. And, you know, he's, you know, I think if you, if you go to other universities, a lot of times the athletic directors doesn't really talk or, or there's, you know, they're, they're, you know, you, you do most of your, your talking as an athletic director through statements and through, um, you know, PR people, which, you know, listen, I understand. But I do think that Ohio State fans uh, have the benefit of actually hearing from Gene more often than, than at almost any other place, which, you know, I think, you know, sometimes I know Ohio State fans think Gene talks too much, but I always, I always appreciate his willingness to, to, to speak on, on many different topics and, you know, be as open as, as, as one can be when you're Ohio State's athletic director. For those of us who are in the media, there's no such thing as anybody talking too much, so... Uh, we always appreciate, uh, you know, Gene's uh, generosity of his time and his willingness to talk. And so, you know, he was nice enough to join us for a conversation about uh, all kinds of different things from uh, the impact of COVID-19 to uh, name, image, and likeness benefits, which I will say we recorded the interview before the most recent news on name, image, and likeness in terms of the law that or the bill that has now been introduced in Ohio for a potential state law on name, image, and likeness. So we'll get to that later in the show at the back end. But for now, we'll get into our interview with Gene about COVID-19, NIL, college football playoff expansion, all kinds of different stuff. Let's get into it. Well, thanks so much for joining us here, Gene, on Real Pod Wednesdays, your first time on the show, I believe. So we really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. I think my first question for you is, and I know this has been such a crazy year, is there a sense of relief that this year in sports is almost over and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel that it looks like things are going to hopefully get back to normal soon? Yeah, that's yeah, a great question, Dan. Yes, uh, it is. It's kind of a relief. You know, we, we do have a few sports who are still competing and uh, summer school has started. Actually, we have a number of athletes who started summer school on May 12th. Uh, but you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and that's why there's a lot of cautious optimism uh, fall, which makes sense. But are we really excited uh, about where we are? I saw, you know, a document Ohio State set out this week that said uh, Ohio State only had to cancel four sporting events this year out of all the sporting events that you guys have had. What do you attribute that to? What do you think the athletic department did well? that enabled you all to have, you know, fewer cancellations than many schools did? I think we were fortunate to have great communication. Uh, We did a lot of different um, Zoom platform conversations with our coaches, our trainers, our strength coaches, our student athletes. Uh, We were very diligent early on. Uh, and it was hard. It was really hard on on everyone. Uh, But we we did a really good job with emphasizing what, level of care our student athletes needed to embrace with the protocols and so when you i think we had 26 overall events canceled and only four were a result of of 
our teams. And so I'm really proud of them. Uh, our, our coaches working with our trainers and strength coaches, um, just really being diligent on what you needed to do. Our student athletes really put themselves in bubbles, um, many of them. And, and that was a huge sacrifice on their part. And I know that many of them struggled um, throughout the year to, to, with maintaining that, but they, they embraced it and did it. When you think back to everything that's happened since last March, what do you think are the biggest things that you and the athletic department have learned that you can now apply even in the future and when COVID's no longer a thing and things are more back to normal? Oh, so many different things. You know, I, I tried to draw an analogy back to our first question with our student athletes and coaches along the way, uh, that resiliency is something that we teach our student athletes all the time anyway. You know, here we are with at a point in time where we student athletes had to demonstrate the, the greatest level of discipline uh, as they put themselves in a bubble and, you know, wore masks and physically distanced and all those type of things. Um, you know, that's what they understand. So let's, let's just take it to that level. And, and so I think uh, this particular year we'll be able to, to show and demonstrate um, that that is something, that's a lesson learned through sport participation and competition that you really need to embrace because it's going to be applicable through life forever. Uh, and the pandemic showed that. And then, of course, all the tools that, that we, we're using now and, and uh, ha- uh, will continue to use, I, I think, will be beneficial to us as we move forward. How has the athletic department approached the topic of vaccination with athletes? Have you guys had educational programs for athletes and kind of what has the response been like from the athletes? Yeah, we're, we're like uh, everywhere else. We've uh, done our education. There's no requirement. Uh, we, we understand that student athletes uh, have different views around the vaccination. So we, we accept that and embrace that. But we are really uh, doing our best to make sure we uh, educate them around every single topic that emerges via Google or or out there in the social media stream, and and then they make a choice. And, and uh, you, you know, for me, I'm hopeful that all of our athletes get vaccinated. Uh, I haven't actually been tracking it, but I'm I'm hopeful that they do. Uh, but otherwise, you end up having to be tested, and, and so uh, that is a choice that they have to make. You know, what is uh, a lot of people like to talk about, like the, the new normal. There, there are some things that are going to be the new normal, some things that are going to go back to, to how they were. For athletes next year, like when they get back on campus, how different do you think that's going to be from last year? Will it, do you imagine it'll be very similar, or the same as what it was before uh, the, the, the pandemic was, you know, Im- impacted you, you all so, so, um, so much? Or do you think that? You know, it could be fairly similar to this past year. Yeah, it won't be similar to this past year. I know that because I think we'll have a super majority, if not all of our student athletes vaccinated. Uh, so that will make a difference. And But um, I, I, it's hard to project what it will be like. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, we don't have to do much testing, uh, but there's a possibility with our congregate sports that we, we might have to do some more testing. So. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to just have our student athletes fall within the university testing protocols as opposed to us having to do an athletic department testing protocol. Uh, but that's really hard to project at this point. You know, our state is, I believe there's a little bit north of 40% of the people who have started, you have some level of a vaccination. 
um, and 37% are totally vaccinated, you know, we need to get up into that 70 percentile, uh, I believe, uh, in order to feel much more comfortable. Uh, so it's hard to reject, Colin. I, I just, you know, I just don't want to, I don't want to get to that testing world again. I think we're, we're close to 90,000 tests we administered this past year. That's a lot. And it was some weeks, it was like 36, 3,700 a week. Wow. And, and the anxiety with testing, I don't know if people understand it. So if you're a football player last fall, six days a week, every morning you're getting tested. So you have the anxiety building up to the test. And then you have the anxiety for 15 minutes or so or 20 after the test, waiting for the response. Right. Think about that. And, you know, I I just I'm just hopeful that we can get back to not having to test as much. That's the thing that I'm really hopeful about. And, and I know you mentioned, um, you know, players who are, are vaccinated versus not. Is Are there protocols in place now or, or that you have planned that if you aren't vaccinated, you have to do a certain number of tests? And if you are, then you then you don't. Yeah, that's a good question. So we are uh, at this point in time with our workout program. Uh, and actually with camps uh, moving forward, depending upon if you work at camp or not, if you're vaccinated, obviously you're not tested, but if you are uh, not vaccinated, then you'll fall into the one time uh, a week testing protocol with the university. Okay, that makes sense. Did, uh, I know a lot of people listening, you know, you mentioned being hopeful for not t- not testing. I know a lot of people listening are hopeful that there will be full stadiums. Yeah, um, I, know, I know you are too. Uh, what is... What is your level of confidence in that hopefulness? How would you sort of define that as we sit here on May 20th with a lot of time to go, but but obviously you want to plan for that? Yeah, you just said it. We have a lot of time to go. So that gives me my hope and, and, and actually confidence that uh, we'll get there. Uh, you know, we're going to launch uh, pretty soon here our own campaign with the athletic department to uh, through our coaches and student athletes to encourage people to get vaccinated. So hopefully that has a little bit of uh, an uptick uh, help with the uh, with the uh, uptake of vaccinations. And, you know, I'm hopeful that the governor's, you know, vac- vax a million or whatever we call it. <laughs> hopefully that was encouraging as well and, and create some uptick. So I, I think the aggregate, I thought of Browns just started a campaign. So I just think that the every incremental increase we can get over the next few months will help us towards that goal. And so um, my position is um, that if we can have full stadiums, obviously we'll have a hopefully super majority are vaccinated. Um, with those who aren't, uh, there's an assumption of risk. And, and you know, that's, that's a part of life in, in everything we do. So uh, that's what I'm hopeful for. And it's outdoors. You know, the CDC and, and everyone else has already relaxed the guidelines for masking outdoors. So I'm just hoping things continue to cascade in that direction. And, and my confidence is, is pretty high. If we can keep that going. Is there anything specific that needs to happen that, that for, for you guys to have full stadiums? You know, I don't know. That's hard one. That's a hard one for me to actually say a number in the number of vaccinations in our state or in our community, like Franklin County or whatever. Uh, we know that we can't have spikes. You know, our the number of uh, COVID cases is going down. We need to continue to do that. Uh, we can't have stress on our hospitals, and obviously, we we don't want to certainly lose life. So we so I think you know that thing that needs to continue to stay going downward, and and then vaccinations going up. 
And so I don't know what that number is. I it, it's, it'll be hard for me to project at this point in time, but I think we'll I think we'll know it uh, somewhere in the early August time frame. Obviously, that uh, season opener or home opener is set for against Oregon. Uh, did you guys ever work anything out with Oregon in terms of how you will make up for the game that was canceled last year? Yeah, so we will play Oregon, and I don't have, I might have the dates right wrong. It's I think it's thirty one, thirty two. Uh, when we'll, we have a, another home-and-home home series with them, and we are upping their guarantee to come here. Um, if we are able to have full stadium, we'll, we'll pay them $3.5 to come here and play one time. What was that process like, just like working through that with uh, Rob Mullins? Was that you know a, a good conversation that you guys had? Yeah, Rob and I are good friends, but actually it was uh, – Diana and her counterpart uh, at Oregon, uh, they worked it to a point and then Rob and I got involved and we just couldn't find a date next year or the year after or even before 26. I mean, there was no way that we could return the game. And that's why we had to up the guarantee. So we had um, our options were to cancel the game and just, you know, we go find another opponent, uh, which would be more expensive. Uh, frankly, uh, and because and then you wouldn't generate the revenue that you would generate with an Oregon. I don't want to disparage who we might. Uh, I'll let you guys do that. Who we might might have to schedule in short order uh, because you know the if things are are back to some level of normal, we know the Oregon game will be packed. Um, you know, it'd be a great game, and, and revenue wise, it'd be exceptional and help us with our deficit at the same time. Um, you know, we'd be able to pay Oregon more than we would be able to pay somebody else. And so um, it became a math issue. And, and Rob and I agreed that we needed to do it this way. And, and uh, they've accepted that. And, and uh, but we, we felt it was I also felt it was important for our fans to have a chance to go to Oregon. And so we talked about I think it's 31, 32 uh, is when we scheduled them, and uh, which is way far out. Uh, but it's on the schedule. You've been involved with the process of crafting name, image, and likeness legislation with the NCAA, and obviously the clock is ticking there with state laws coming into play on July 1. I know the NCAA just said that I think uh, the next Division One Council meeting in June, they're hopeful to be able to you know, enact legislation. Are you, you know, optimistic that that's going to be able to happen? Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I, uh, I'm disappointed uh, that it didn't happen in the last council meeting. I'm on the uh, NCA uh, Legislative Solutions Group, and we've, uh, when I moved from my chair position, I moved to the Legislative Solutions Group, and we've crafted the legislation that I think is good legislation that should have been passed in January. And, and I believe that it should have been passed this week at the council meeting, but I understand their rationale, there was concerns. Uh, so I'm hopeful that it's passed in June, and and uh, and across the country is is opened up July one. Um, there's 15 states right now with bills. There's you know the federal government. It, there's a a lot more conversation now because this this is imminent. So it's it's a slight shot that there might be a piece of federal legislation. So um, I'm confident that in some form or fashion it's going to happen July one, and um, I'm really happy that it will be. Uh, this has been a, it got started in May of 2019 on that committee, and, and I'm really happy that it's going to get there. 
how difficult has it been to prepare for that as an athletic department without knowing exactly what those rules are going to look like? Yeah, that's the part that's really been hard because I, I, I really ask my teammates uh, to be patient and, and let's get as close to we can to where things might be so we have clarity. And, and, and so that was hard uh, because other schools were moving and doing certain things. And I didn't want to be in a situation where we uh, got ahead of things and had to reverse. And so, which I think some of my colleagues across the country are going to have to do. Uh, but now we, we really have clarity on what it will be one way or the other. So what our team has done, led by Kerry uh, Hoyt um, uh, in, the, in our administrative area, uh, working with a small committee, um, they, they've really developed a good plan. Uh, June will be a great month for education. We'll spend a lot of time educating our coaches, student athletes. Uh, we're gonna do uh, education with us uh, donors, uh, business leaders. Uh, we're gonna spend a lot of time educating in the month of June. Uh, and ready to activate July one. Have, have you? I know. I know a lot of different states have passed their own um, or, or pursued their own legislation when it comes to, to NIL. And, and Ohio, you know, hasn't hasn't necessarily been out on the forefront of that. Is it? Has part of that been? Have you worried about that at all, or has part of your worry or lack of worry been about the fact that you've been confident that that come July one there will be um, something for the entire NCAA? Yeah, I've been confident on that and. Um, Ohio's still not over yet. We still got all of June. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Make a good point. Um, to, to to switch things to the to the college football playoff, um, which obviously I, I know that you know you sat on you sat on that another different committee for uh, for yeah. a while there. But you know w- w- when it comes to potential expansion there, you know. What is your personal feelings about that and, and how have they changed throughout the years and, and where are you, you know, now in 2021 on when it comes to whether you want it to be four or, or more than that? Yeah, that's a good, I mean, it's, it's obviously something that um, we're either, you know, a decision made this year or next year. I'm not really sure, but the conversations escalated. Um, and so I, uh, I, I'm of the opinion that we need to expand. Um I'm not sure what the number is. I I'm probably am more comfortable expanding to eight uh, as opposed to 12 or 16. Um, I'm concerned about the regular season and, and what that means. Um, just when we moved from the BCS to the CFP, as I shared before, I was concerned about the regular season then. I was also con- concerned about devaluing the other bowls, and, and that has happened. The other bowls have been devalued. We've had more opt-outs than we've ever had of student-athletes participating in those bowls. And when we go to eight or 12, whatever it ends up being, uh, that will continue. Those bowls will um, become less important. Student-athletes may not want to play in them, and uh, they'll be devalued. So the experience that we used to derive from participating in those bowls uh, will be mitigated to some degree. So I do believe we're going to expand. I believe we should expand. Um, I'm a little concerned about expanding before the television deal is up. There's a part of me that would like to just go to the open market, but that's, you know, that's not a decision I'll get a chance to be a part of. Um, so I'm, I'm anxious to see how this evolves. I am a believer that 
uh, the Power Five champions should be automatic qualifiers um, and get get that opportunity to be in. Um, I'm a believer that um, conferences who play nine or more contests in the league should get seating preference. Um, so um, it's a lot to be worked out there, but uh, I think it's going to happen. I really do. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. How, how do you think you know expansion would specifically affect Ohio State? Because if you you know if you look at it in the college football playoff era. You know, Ohio State, I think in that last poll, it's been at least seventh or higher. So potentially if it were at eight, it would have made it, you know, every single year. Um, Perfect. (laughs) I know. I know that. But from your perspective, looking forward, do you do you view that as an expansion as a potential positive for you? And and also just, you know, part of that is, you know, would you like there to be, you know, the first round games on campus and potentially have, you know, a first round game in Ohio Stadium? I, uh, you know, I'm a huge believer in conference championships. And, and I think everything we've done in a lot of our sports um, have diminished the conference championship. And, you know, just what I thought would happen, and I shared publicly before it started, and once we launched the CFP, um, you know, the, the championships that we would win, be it the East and ultimately in Indianapolis, you know, it will be lost because everybody the next day is, you know, driving back from Indianapolis and all they could think about was the the show, you know, whether or not we're in and where we're going to be seated. And, and it would be forgotten that the team had just gone through the gauntlet. And, and I remember I was on the basketball committee and our basketball team uh, and Thad had done an excellent job. We won the regular season and then we won the tournament. And, you know, it's like nobody cared, you know, they just want to know what seat were we and where are we going? And, and it's just, so I'm old school. I believe the conference championships should matter. Um, and, and I believe that, you know, it's, it's hard to do campus sites. Um, just from an operational business point of view, it's just hard. It's easier to do neutral sites. Um, and I believe we should have some domes like Indianapolis or Minneapolis or Detroit in the mix, um, which would, you know, be challenging for some of the bowl sites. Uh, but uh, I believe that. Um, but I, I think operationally to be ready to host that level of a game and sell tickets that fast, I just think it's better to, to go neutral site. There was some speculation that you could be a candidate for the PAC 12 commissioner job. Obviously uh, that was not the case, but did you have any interest in that job? Did you have any talks with the PAC 12? I had an interest. I, you know, I studied it a little bit. Um, Dan, I, you know, I'm blessed. I, you know, been at this a long time. I'm 65 and and so far, you know, knock on wood, I'm I'm, I'm still healthy, but, um, and I have, you know, a lot of work in me and, um, I, I, one of my goals is to be able to continue to try and uh, help our industry um, move in a positive direction. And so uh, my, my interest was to evaluate, is that better from this seat or was that better from a commissioner seat? Uh, because the commissioner has some, a different level of influence. Uh, and I decided after studying it and talking to some of my colleagues, obviously some in the, in the PAC, PAC 12, I, I do have a few there. Um, so I got information, studied it. But at the end of the day, uh, this is home, uh, you know, from Ohio. And, 
And I would miss the connection with my athletes. I learned so much from them. Um, it, you know, I can't begin to tell you, you know, around NIL, I mean, having conversations with them about that or, you know, during the pandemic, um, I think a lot of people were disconnected because they didn't, they didn't get feedback from the athletes. And I, I, I can't imagine um, being a leader without their feedback, particularly today. The whole ecosystem with student athletes, with transfers and NIL, everything's going to change. So I, I, I've studied it. Um, they did call me, um, and you know the president and I were having conversations at the same time. Um, but I, I decided I had no interest, and so that's how the contract emerged. And I just decided this is where I want to finish. So I'm hopefully I get an opportunity to do that. You just signed that contract extension, as you mentioned, five years now. Do you kind of look at that like, okay, five years, that might be what I have left here, or is it kind of just open to however long you feel like going? I think the last contract extension you signed, I think you said that that was the retirement contract. <laughs> well, I, you're right. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, you know. It's so funny. I, I, uh, I, I think I've shared before. I just try and go year to year. I just try and do my job. And, and, and as long as I'm healthy, as long as uh, uh, my president wants me, I'm going to continue to just work as hard as I can. Uh, I have a vision. Uh, for our athletic program that I'm still trying to achieve. Um, uh, you know, years ago, I, I had a vision to um, have the high academic performance that we're currently achieving. And it is this year was like, I mean, I was shocked at our metrics from this year with COVID. I mean, it was stupid. I think we had 779 student athletes with a 3.0 or better. And all 36 of our teams averaged north of a, of a 3.0 in our APR uh, single and multi-year numbers were records. So, uh, and that was a vision that was created years ago and we were, were there almost. And so um, I have a vision for some other things and uh, I want to work towards those. How is the budget looking for next year? Are there, you know, any more concerns about having to make cuts or do you think what you all did last year was enough? Yeah, I, uh, uh, that's a part of the vision is to, is to recover from that. And uh, no, the reductions that we made last year were this past year were significant. And I have to applaud our, our staff, our coaches, and everyone else with the cost containment measures that they ultimately implemented. And, you know, with the number of events that we hosted, not being able to hire students um, because we cut the student budget was significant for our facility staff, our, our, our grounds crew and our trainers and everybody else. And so their sacrifices were big, but it positioned us to go from a projected around $107 million deficit. And I think there's going to be south of 60 million uh, when it's all said and done. So uh, obviously my, my goal uh, is to uh, have in place a deficit recovery plan over time uh, where we get that done and, uh, so I don't think there's any more cost cutting measures that we'll implement. Uh, we'll, uh, we will not get back up to the staffing level that we were at. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to look at student help uh, as opposed to full-time positions in some areas. Uh, just be much more efficient in, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So um, uh, hopefully there's new revenue streams down the road. Uh, we were talking about one, maybe the CFP is one uh, expansion. 
but yeah, we I think we're in a spot from a cost cutting measure point of view where we where we need to be. I want to bring up men's basketball for a second because I don't I don't know how much you've you've talked about you know Chris Holtman over over the past couple of years publicly, but you know he's had an interesting tenure where it's you know the first year it's largely with dad's guys, the second year it's a little bit of a rebuild, third year no NCAA tournament, fifth in the Big Ten, then this year you know fifth in the Big Ten, go to the Big Ten tournament championship. And then obviously there's the, the first round exit and the NCAA tournament. Just, you know, four years in now, it's, it's been an interesting, weird four years. Just how do you view the, the job that, that he's done and, and where do you feel like the program is right now? Yeah, he's done an excellent job. I mean, you, you just articulated the, kind of the roller coaster. Um, I think he's done an exceptional job. He's an unbelievable teacher, first and foremost. When you, you, you look at him in game or you look at him in practice, I mean, he's a great teacher. And uh, I think he's done an excellent job in that space. And he's an outstanding recruiter of character. I mean, uh, the young men who are who are who are here and who are coming in uh, this year are exceptional, uh, exceptional people, uh, good academic performers, but they're they're outstanding players. Um, the roster management is uh, it's been interesting. You know, I think uh, you, you guys will probably pay attention to it. And, um, so it's going to be interesting this year to see how the roster e- e- evolves and, and his recruiting for 22 is, is, is stupid. So um, he's doing a great job. I feel good about where the program is. I mean, uh, the worst loss was obviously the first round of the NCAA tournament. That was painful. Um, I really think if we had gotten in the COVID year uh, in 2019 or whatever was that, 20, we would have we would have made a little run. I think that team had some juice in it um, with Caleb and, and, you know, we, I think we had a shot to, to make a little run deeper, um, but, but he's doing a great job. I'm really happy for him and, and great staff. And, you know, it, it was disheartening. And you guys can remind me the we had like three games in a row. Was it the team up North Iowa? Illinois, yeah. Illinois. Right. And you imagine if we had fans, with that stretch, can you imagine what the the shot would have been like? Um, so when you think about it, um, you know he's done a great job. Um, if we had fans, those three games would have been packed, and, and we would have had traffic problems. And uh, uh, so that speaks to to the job he's done. I know some you know some fans. There, there, there's always sentiment when a, when a first round NCAA tournament loss like the Oral Roberts one one happens, and, and obviously a lot of people were upset. Um, and I know that you're very comfortable and confident in the, in the job he's done. What makes you think that he can get get the program to the level where you know some years it's in the Final Four, some years you know it's a it's a Big Ten champion? Um, what what makes you confident that that he can get it there? Yeah, you know you. Most of it's just my old age, but, you know, I, I've seen the Oral Roberts situation before in a lot of different places. You know, I remember being on the committee and, and I got drilled as the committee chair when we put VC, um, VCU in. And, and, you know, they were really, really good. And, and Oral Roberts the same way. And, and if they were playing at the top of their game, they could beat almost anybody. And I watched our team get beat up in the Big Ten. And I watched our team in that last game and each day like they getting beat up. And so um, Kyle Young wasn't in that game. Most people forget that he wasn't in that game. Uh, Justin Sewing was, you know, putting uh, heating pads 
uh, on his inner thighs with, during timeouts of that game. We weren't full force. We weren't. Uh, we were. We were. We were crippled, and and, and they were at the top of their game. So, um, so my my confidence is in the young men. It's in watching him teach, um, and you know, reality is is recruiting. I mean, if uh, he's doing a heck of a job in recruiting, I think we're you did a great job of going over his years with the player roster management. But now we're to a point where these are his kids and this is his program. So now it's going to be interesting to watch to see how those puzzles fit. I mean, the young man from Akron is a player. I mean, he's, you know, he's probably, you know, got a year, get a year under his belt because he's still a puppy. Uh, but at the end of the day, that kid's going to be special when it's all said and done. And, and uh, so I don't know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really excited about it. I, you know, I'm probably a little biased because I go to practice more than other people and see what I see. I want to ask one, uh, just to flip it to football for a second. And I ask this knowing that the obvious answer is I don't want to single anybody out. But I also I also ask this because I think that, you know, a lot of, you know, in, in your position, you see a lot of these players behind the scenes. So I was wondering if there's anybody, one or two people who, from your perspective, getting to know them, has sort of impressed you and how they handle themselves on or off, on or off the field. Um, and, and I'm sure that, you know, I mean, you, you know, all these guys, different backstories and, and backgrounds just differently than others. Um, and I don't know if there's one or two that, that stand out who maybe you can, you can speak to. It's hard to pick out one or two because there's so many of them, you know, you two know, they're, we're blessed. We have character kids. I mean, they're really great young men. And, you know, we could go through each position group and uh, three of us could just, you know, pick out a couple of guys that, you know, we would be excited about. But, you know, I'll pick out a couple just for the heck of it. You know, uh, Thayer Mumford, you know, Thayer's, Thayer has truly evolved into a student uh, and just a mature individual. He's a man. And, you know, we... You know, we, we struggled to, to get him into school. He got into school and he killed it. And, and those, I call these light bulb moments, right? Because they, they come on at some point. And whatever deficiency you have, you learn to overcome. And, and he's done that. And, and so, um, you know, my small conversations with him have always been impressive. Always been impressive. And... Well, I just keep going. I probably shouldn't, but you, you just said name a couple. But, you know, I'm just so proud of all of them. Um, you know, Justin Fields, who left us, you know, the you know people forget about what it took to get him eligible, you know, from a transfer point of view, uh, the, the, the magic that had to occur. And I remember um, being at Pro Day, and, you know, he had no reason to, to come and, and thank me, but he came over and thanked me. And, you know, those moments are, are huge. That means he didn't forget. Uh, that is a demonstration of his character. And so uh, watching him evolve over time to be the leader that he was, as opposed to that quiet transfer that we all saw, and all of a sudden, you know, he's leading. He's actually standing up on, on stools. And so... You know, I can just go around. I can just keep going, but I won't. It's, you know, those two 
special Zach Harrison. Holy smoke. You know, he's, you know, whether or not he, you know, his performance from an athletic point of view, who knows, but his personality has really evolved, really evolved. And, and I love seeing that. I just, so anyway, I need, I've got to stop there. Otherwise I'll go all the way around the way. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. That's fine with me. <laughs> They're all great. They're great kids. I mean, look at Haskell Garrett. Holy smoke. The tragedy that he incurred and, and all the things he's doing now in the community to try and give back and, and help young people in our society. And uh, he chose to come back. And, and, and man, he's – so I, I'm, stop, I'm stopping. I'm done. <laughs> I know that uh, Zoom's going to kick us off in a few minutes here. So before we let you go, are there any parting thoughts you'd want to share with Ohio State fans, with our listeners, anything we didn't ask you about that you want people to know about? No, I just want to thank uh, – Buckeye Nation, you know, uh, we're blessed to have the opportunity we have because of Buckeye Nation and, and because of you guys in the media who provide us this platform to, to, to share. And so I, I want to thank Buckeye Nation. Uh, appreciate all their support. We had a great year in fundraising, uh, outstanding year. And we wouldn't be able to do what we are able were able to do uh, this past year without their support. And uh, so I want to thank them. And I promised them that we're going to work just as hard moving forward. Uh, academically and character wise and and winning wise uh, we're going to get after it again 12 conference championships and team championships and uh, five or six coaches of the year we'll get after it well gene we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on real pod wednesdays you are welcome back anytime so uh, yeah. thanks again for being so generous of your time well thank you guys appreciate you both and uh uh, go forth and have a good good time. Take care. Go Bucks. All right. We want to thank Gene once again for joining us here on Real Pod Wednesdays. Colin, what did you think was the most interesting thing that we learned from that interview? I think there were several um, interesting interesting things. I mean, one, <laughs> you got him to to reveal the the Oregon news, which. I don't know how much excitement you can have to games that are scheduled over a decade in advance, but however much excitement you want to give to those games, you can give them because we now know how state will play a home and home with Oregon in the early 2030s. Yeah, that's, that was definitely uh, the biggest news I think to come out of the interview in terms of uh, that was not known uh, before we had uh, this interview with Gene. So uh, you know, interesting to see how they decided to rectify that. You know, like you said, I, I think it's hard for fans to get excited about games a decade from now. And people wonder, well, you know, why don't they play it, play it sooner? But the reality is because of the way scheduling is done in college football, neither one of these teams had an opening really on the schedule to where they could play uh, until over a decade from now. So that's why, you know, 2032, 2033, those were the first years on the schedule where Ohio State didn't already have a non-conference game scheduled. So they now have at least one non-conference game scheduled for every year through 2033. Lots of marquee opponents on that schedule, as we've talked about on the show before. But I think, you know, the most important thing is they've come up with a resolution, which also includes paying Oregon three and a half million dollars this year. So that home opener against Oregon is going to happen. You know, they, they, they're, they're not going to actually make that trip to Eugene for another 11 years, 
but uh, the game this year at Ohio Stadium is going to happen. And based on you know our conversation with Gene, I don't think there's any reason to think anything of her than that game on September 11 is going to be played in front of a full crowd at Ohio Stadium. Yeah, I think he and, and everybody at Ohio State has been pretty cautious when it comes to talking about full attendance, 100% attendance, and, and what that'll look like. Um, and I think that it's just because you don't want to say that you think there will be 100% attendance and there not be, because there's less of a consequence doing that than to say, I'm not sure, and then there to be 100% attendance. So you have to understand where, where they're coming from on that. Uh, but also, you know, you, you hear Gene talk, and it's you know, he talks about his hopefulness and, and his confidence Um and I think that it's just a matter of time. I mean, as we record this on Tuesday, the Columbus Clippers are going to 100% capacity. And it's like if the Columbus Clippers are going to 100% capacity in June, it's just a matter of time until the until until Ohio State football does um, in September. And, I, you know, I even saw, you know, I think it was on Monday, Maryland basketball um, is, is going to 100%. They've already announced that. So to me, it's just a matter of time and, and that – with that announcement, um, which I think a lot of, there's still a lot of anticipation around it just because of last year and and how that went. But I, but I really do feel extremely confident that at some point here this summer, potentially sooner than later, um, we'll we'll hear something when it comes to that. Yeah. I I do think that we're going to hear something sooner than later, because it seems like every day more and more uh, sporting teams or entities are, you know, coming out and saying that, you know, we're going to get back to full capacity soon. So I'd be very surprised if it doesn't happen. Certainly Ohio state wouldn't be paying Oregon three and a half million dollars for that game. If Ohio state didn't think it was going to make that money back in ticket sales. So I think that will happen. That's certainly good news. You know, another thing that, you know, Gene certainly thinks is going to happen is name, image, and likeness, uh, and the NCAA is going to pass regulations by July 1, which is when it has to, to com- in order to you know, create rules for everybody because you have a bunch of states that are going to have laws going into effect on July 1. And now Ohio could be one of those states. As you know, we, when we talked to Gene during the interview, he, he kind of hinted at what was coming a few days later. We didn't know that at the time that – there was going to be a bill introduced at the state house on Monday, but uh, I think Gene knew that at the time and he kind of made that clear the way he hinted it. Colin, I, I was on vacation here in between uh, this inter- our interview with Gene and then recording this. So you're a little bit more in tune with what's going on with this, you know, name, image and likeness uh, situation in terms of, you know, locally in Ohio and at Ohio state, but, you know, just what do you kind of make of, you know, everything we've learned on this topic in the past week in terms of where things are headed here. Yeah, timing-wise, uh, this interview wasn't perfect because a lot in the name, image, and likeness sphere uh, happened within the, the six days after after the interview between, you know, five days since, uh, since we recorded that. Um, you know, it felt like it was just a matter of time for Ohio. Um, and I do think if you look um, – if you look at just where Ohio is right now and you look at um, the, the other states that, that are passing laws, you know, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, New Mexico, Texas is reconsidering. It's like, oh, those are a lot of states where it would probably be a 
fairly significant disadvantage to not have your NIL stuff in order when July 1st comes, because right now, if you don't have it in order, you're essentially hoping that the NCAA does something in a timely manner, which, you know, Gene expressed some confidence in, in our interview. At the same time, he also at a press conference on Monday uh, when, when he was talking about the, the Ohio NIL bill that, that's been introduced this week, he, he, he mentioned that, you know, he feels like federal legislation is important. And he also expressed some skepticism that that will be done by the time July 1st rolls around. So I think it's hard to, um, if you really believe that, to me, it's a little bit hard to, to feel confident that the NCAA will have stuff in order by, by July 1st. So, you know, my question on this is like, I don't know how much it matters that Ohio is doing this. It's sort of, you know, a safeguard um, because at some point, like you, not you just imagine, like the NCAA will have to act and they will have to put some sort of name, image, likeness, rules and regulations in place. It's just a matter of when that happens in Ohio and Ohio State didn't want to fall behind others. So, so to me, like this, this just sort of makes sense from, especially when you're looking at it from Ohio State perspective, there's no real downside here. And they've been heavily involved like both Gene Smith and uh, I believe you pronounce it, the, the state senator Naraj Antani, um, who, who helped craft it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you said, the NCAA has to do something. At the same time, I've said it before, I never have a ton of faith in the NCAA getting things done the way they're supposed to happen because we've seen it time and time again where the NCAA has dropped the ball in these situations. But, you know, the clock is truly ticking. If, if they don't get something done in, in June, uh, then it is going to be the Wild West in terms of different laws in different states. I mean, you know, like you said, I, I don't think federal legislation is going to happen by, by July. You know, maybe it does happen at some point. And, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people who know more about how these things work than I do that do believe federal legislation is important here. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you just have all these different states that are now have different laws and how are those going to mesh with whatever the NCAA comes up with. But, you know, the NCAA has to come up with a way to incorporate these state laws into whatever it's doing and come up with a set of regulations for everybody. Or, you know, it, it is it is going to be an unlevel playing field uh, between uh, colleges and college athletes in different states. But, you know, I think, was, you know, you know, talking to Gene on uh, Thursday when we talked to him, you know, it was clearly like he, he was disappointed that the NCAA hadn't already passed these rules because he was one of the co-chairs of the working group that put that legislation together. And, you know, he's, he believes that the legislation they have is solid and why the NCAA hasn't actually passed that yet. I don't know, but uh, if they don't pass something at the end of June, then things are going to get real interesting on July 1st. It's another, you know, example too of, you know, this thing's real, this thing's real now. Like, I think that that maybe is, is something uh, more so than anything else that, that, that might, that was my takeaway. And that was, you know, they are putting in place laws now to have college athletes be able to, to, to make money and they have their safeguards in there. You know, you can't, you know, represent companies that are selling alcohol, tobacco, casinos, marijuana, anything like that. And, and at the same time, you know, you can have agents, um, schools can't veto deals. You know, they'll give advice. They can't veto deals. Like 
there's a lot of power that that um, and and potential money making opportunities for these college athletes that I think we're all just sort of sitting here to see how it plays out. Cause I think it's really, really hard to project this. Like you can, if you look back like open doors who Ohio state partnered with on, on Tuesday to, to help, you know, promote some of their student athletes and educate some of their you know athletes. Um, you know, they put out projections last summer about what players could have made, but like, you know, what if someone had a business that they, that they really wanted to start? You know, what if someone, someone like Joey Lane, how much could he have made on some towel gang shirts? Like the, it's just hard to hard to project some of that stuff. And and I think that, you know, that's, that's where we're all just sort of sitting in the dark and, and just waiting to see how it plays out. Um, Cause if, I think we'd all be lying if we, if we felt like we had an, we had a great idea. I think Ohio state and others are just trying to best prepare themselves for a world that, as Gene said, is is about to get a little bit chaotic. Yeah, I mean, this is a massive change for college sports. I mean, forever, college athletes have not been able to to profit off their name and likeness. You know, college athletes have not had ways to get paid aside from, you know, their scholarships that they get. And that is about to change in a huge way. And, I mean, you could see it, you know, like Taraja Mitchell, for example, uh, he's already uh, – you know, setting stuff up for himself. I think he's going to sell apparel uh, that he he's planning to start once uh, name, image, and likeness rules, you know, go into effect here in July. So uh, yeah, things are about to change in a big way. I, I definitely uh, would be lying if I said I knew exactly how this is all going to play out, but the landscape of college sports is about to change in a big way forever. There's no doubt about that. And also, you know, this isn't going to hurt Ohio State. Like this is no. just this is going to help Ohio State separate itself from the rest of the pack, um, which for the have-nots of college football and, and college sports in general, probably not a great thing. But that's just going to be the going to be the reality. Now, another thing that Gene says that he thinks will happen is college football playoff expansion, and certainly seems like momentum is going in that direction. Uh, Gene Gene said that he personally would be most comfortable with an eight-team playoff. I know when we talked about this, uh, I think it was last week, uh, you know, I think that, you know, that's kind of where you were on board with, with eight teams. I, I think that's probably what I'm on board with too. Um, you know, Gene also said that he thought, uh, you know, uh, automatic qualifier should be a thing for Power Five uh, conference champions, which uh, I agree uh, that should be a thing too. Uh, did burst our bubble a little bit, Bo. Uh, in terms of the idea of having first round games on campus sites. Yeah. I specifically asked him about that because, you know, I feel like us in the media and everybody out there as college football fans, there's sort of this idea that if they went to eight, if they went to 16, 12, that those first round games could potentially be home games for the, for the higher seeded team. And that like would be awesome. Like imagine a college football playoff game in Ohio Stadium, like that would be incredible. It would be. Um, and Gene Smith basically said logistically, it's probably not going to happen. And here's the thing: like if you want to hold out hope, you can. I'm just saying, Gene Smith knows things, and when Gene when Gene Smith is saying something like that, that you know he's saying it with a, a fair degree of confidence, uh, I would I would not hold out hope. 
yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, like you said, I mean, he's very in tune to what's happening uh, with these conversations, which is, you know, why I think it's so interesting to ask him about this kind of stuff. And, you know, once he said that, it, it did make sense to me because, you know, you think about these college football playoff games. I mean, there are months, years of planning that goes into these things. And, you know, especially, you know, we don't know exactly what the timing's going to look like, but most likely an 18 playoff, most likely there's going to be a shorter uh, time frame between when the playoff field is set and when the first games are going to be played if you expand the playoff. So the logistics of now teams having a week maybe to prepare to host a college football playoff game, that's a lot. Uh, that would be a big undertaking. So I can definitely get why that might not be in the cards, even though it would be really cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I mean, I, I it would be – I understand logistical concerns at the same time. I think we've seen in this past college football season that things can happen really quickly in college football if it makes sense and if it can make some money. Um, and I do think it's, I don't, I don't think it's impossible. No, I, I don't either. That, I just think that the, I don't know if it's necessarily Gene Smith's view or if it's college football uh, power brokers views that they can probably make some more money if they do it another way. We also, you know, we did ask Gene about, uh, you know, the Pac-12 commissioner job. And, he, you know, he acknowledged that he did, you know, have some interest in that job. He did, you know, at least explored the possibility of it and uh, ultimately decided that he wanted to stay at Ohio State. And, you know, as we know, you know, these things can always change. You never know what's going to happen. But certainly from talking to him, you know, you certainly get the vibe that, he expects that he's going to finish his career as Ohio State's athletic director and doesn't seem like somebody who will have a whole lot of interest in pursuing another commissionership that might open up. Yeah, I mean, last the la- I, I did find a comment, like the last time he signed a contract extension, like I brought it up to him in the interview, is he said last contract extension, that was going to be the retirement contract. Then after that contract, he was going to retire. And after that contract, he, in fact, explored being the Pac-12 commissioner. Uh, So, yes, I don't think you can say with 100% certainty that this is the last contract and he's done, but this one's going to take him until he's 70. You know, he could have pursued a a conference. um, He he could have pursued being the president of the Pac-12 conference, which is a a gigantic job, Um, and he decided not to. And I think if you're not going to pursue that job and you're Gene Smith, I don't really know what else you're what else you're waiting for. Um, so I would, you know, I would be surprised if if he was anywhere else um, full time in, in a major job like this one um, after after signing this last extension. The last thing I think would be worth mentioning, you did ask him about Chris Holtman, and Gene certainly, uh, you know, gave his stamp of approval for what Chris Holtman has done at Ohio State so far. What did you think about, you know, what Gene had to say about Holtman's tenure so far? Well, I asked it because I've been interested in what Gene Smith thinks about Chris Holtman, the job he's done for a long time, because to be honest, I don't know if Gene Smith in the four years that he has been athletic director has talked much at all about Chris Holtman. Um, And definitely, I know for sure he hasn't talked about him really at all publicly in the last two years. Um, 
obviously a lot of that was because of COVID-19, but you know, these last two years were really important and, and, and Chris Holtman's tenure um, and, and evaluating him. And I will say, like, I think some people will be disappointed to hear the level of confidence that Gene Smith has in Chris Holtman uh, because, you know, I, I know, I know a lot of people aren't necessarily pleased with um, how, how Ohio state finished this past season, but I don't think it was a surprise at all either. Um, and I think that, you know, I believe him when he talks about the teaching um, that, that he's seen uh, up close um, for, from Chris Holtman that's impressed him. I also believe him when he talks about the recruiting, because as much as people do point to like the inability, uh, and, and I don't even necessarily know if inability is the right word, but the, the, the lack of landing a big time center, you know, someone like an Efton Reed. Um, I, I, know, I know people point to that, but the recruiting outside of that has been pretty, pretty good. Um, and I think Gene Smith has recognized that too. Um, now, I do think if you look back at some of the comments that he made after he fired Thad Mata um, and, and Ohio State moved on from him, you know, he talked about wanting to get Ohio State to be in the hunt for a Big Ten championship every single year, to be a top 15 team all the time, to periodically be a top five team, um, and to consistently be able to return to the heights of the Thad Mata era. That is a lot to ask for. And I don't think you can make the argument right now that Chris Holtman has done that. Um, so if that was the expectation for Chris Holtman when you brought him in and after you fired that Mata, like he hasn't gotten it back there. Um, but but I you know I specifically asked him the question about why he thinks he can get it uh, get it back to that point. Um, and you can hear the confidence in his voice. So you know this next year is going to be massively massively important. Um, as we, as we all know, and, and obviously we're still playing the waiting game to, to see what EJ Liddell and, and Dwayne Washington ultimately decide, but provided they return, um, Ohio state would have a top 10, potentially top five team entering the season. Well, we want to thank you all again for listening in. Hope you all enjoyed the interview with Gene Smith. Thanks again to Gene, uh, for joining us on real pod Wednesdays this week. And, uh, We'll be back next week with, uh, I'm sure, some more interesting things to talk about. So uh, thanks again for listening in, everyone, and we'll talk to you again soon.